This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Hi, I'm Tyler Rye, Professor of Entrepreneurship in the Management Department here at Wharton. Sitting here today with Joey Hundred, who is a social entrepreneur in residence here at the Wharton School for the week. We're going to talk a little bit about Joey's experience as an entrepreneur, as well as the energy he's seen around social enterprise here in the Wharton student population. So Joey, welcome. Thank you so much. It's nice to have you here. It's awesome to be here. So you've been doing this for a few years now. Tell me a little bit about the background, how you got into social enterprise, and how you ended up coming to Wharton to talk about it. In terms of what I do here at Wharton or how I got here, uh, well, I got here from your invite about four <laughs> years ago to come and guest lecture in one of your classes. And then I discovered the Wharton Social Impact Initiative and just what's going on there. And, um, and Cheryl Coleman and, and her, her the people she's working with to create a really unique platform for social enterprise here at Wharton in a very, in a very powerful way. Um, so I've become sort of this social entrepreneur in residence, and while here, I get to learn what they're doing at the Impact Initiative, and I'm always amazed at how they're developing each year. These are super ambitious people developing uh, something really unique to help nurture social enterprise. And I guess within that, um, the intent is for me to come and lecture initially on not just social enterprise and social entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship in general from a deeply experiential point of view, um, given that what's understood by faculty here and people who care about the student body is there's tons of drive for people to get a lot of students want to get into startup and into venture, only they're coming at it from a very theoretical, academic basis, um, lacking experience. And so some awesome professors such as yourself will have students try to create startup ideas and work on startups in class, which is getting them this much needed experiential component. And I suppose I drop into the system to try to work with them and, and, and get them heads up about um, the experience of entrepreneurship and what they're missing and help work on their ideas with them and help them refine their ideas. Right on. So maybe let's dig in a little bit on this social enterprise piece. Yeah. So this is one of these terms that's still thrown around a little bit. You know, we talk about social enterprise, we talk about social entrepreneurship. But in my experience, when you start to really dig in around this, you know, people can be having really different conversations about what these two components mean together. Yeah. You know, there's the social, there's the entrepreneurship, which are both vague. You start mashing them up and, you know, sometimes you lose a little bit in the combination. So how do you define this stuff? And what are you seeing in terms of the students who are working on it? Interesting. I define social enterprise or social venture as a company or venture, nonprofit or otherwise some sort of organization that has a social impact baked right into the product or or right into the value they seek to offer society. Okay. Not like, hey, on occasion with 1% of our profits, we do this thing for helping people out. To me, that's too minor. Uh, more so it's, well, every time you buy this, we give the exact same value to another community. Or by virtue of you buying this product, people are getting educated just by being around. To me, Social enterprise is when the social impact of either uh, education, helping lift people out of poverty, helping provide access to food or drinking water, helping to level quality of life around the world, these sorts of things, lifting people out of poverty, um, creating education, inspiration, that has to be worked right into the product, not like, hey, uh, once a year we go volunteer. That's not it. To me, uh, an actual uh, larger percentage of cost of goods sold or a larger percentage of gross revenues is is put at this purpose, and it's continually reinvested in. Not only that, but the, the values of the founders are commensurate with this creating impact. It's, uh, it can be that the founders have figured out that this is a market advantage. It gives them a leg up on their competitors. I don't really care if that's the driver, more so that 
the impact is consistent, it's measurable, and it's doing something great in society. So there's a lot baked into that definition. Maybe we could just pull on the mix between the social and the financial a bit. So what you're talking about is a real hybrid organization, right? I mean, you're pursuing some sort of revenue stream at the same time you're addressing a big social problem. Totally. So what sort of problems do these organizations run into? I mean, so there's got to be challenges that are baked in. Oh, yeah. But then what are the benefits as well? Got it. So in my own case, so I started the world's first green carnival in 2011. All of our rides run on waste vegetable oil, wind, and solar power. And we, we created the carnival specifically to educate people on sustainable technologies and even more to inspire people about why to be hopeful about the future, why tomorrow could be better than today. Um, now, if you look at our cost structure, uh, us versus a typical carnival, um, we have to generate our own energy, collect the feedstocks to make our own energy, create a totally compelling and engaging educational layer on top of everything, engage students, nonprofits, foundations, government. You know, like, we have a thousand times more relationships baked into our show to make it happen than the carnival that rolls into the shopping, uh, a shopping store parking lot sets up for three days. And then let's look at revenues. Their revenues are ticket revenues. 100% of their revenues are coming through tickets or people playing games or buying food, and it's, that's 100% of the revenue base. For us, our revenues are ticket revenues, people playing games and buying food, but much more so, corporate sponsorship, government grants, uh, contributions, donations, the whole mix. And then if you look again at the cost structure, our show costs about 90% more than their show costs. So we have this huge risk of having a wildly more expensive show than they do because we're serving so so many more mandates, and we need so much more resource to make it happen. At the same time, it opens us up to all those other revenue streams. There's no company out there that really wants to sponsor a dingy carnival with questionable operators and safety and ethics. Whereas over here, you have the world's first green carnival, which is engaging people in blowing minds and doing something beautiful in society. We're a sponsorable asset. And so with that, we have a diversified revenue base that a traditional carnival does not have. And at the same time, it's way more complex to run. It's way, we need a total different acumen of operator and executives to make that all work, whereas this is way more simple. There are definitely pluses and minuses to social enterprise. And I think that any social enterprise with a blended mandate, blended return to society is inevitably gonna be more complex to operate and at the same time is gonna get benefits for that, like diversifying revenue streams, lasting through economic recessions because they're seen as, as a greater value than just a cash value. So is there any risk with that of abandoning social mission when the going gets tough on the financial side? And I mean, you know, what you're, you're talking about is, you know, a cost structure, complexity that's an order of magnitude higher than your competitors. Sure, it opens you up to additional revenue streams and additional opportunities. But, I mean, there still has to be this tension. You know, what happens when you have these moments where it's just not clear? Okay, we need to run this thing. We need to keep the lights on. We have the social mission. What happens when these things butt into each other? What do you do? I get it. I think that the question you just asked is going to change per entrepreneur that you ask because each of us exists on a continuum on the spectrum from I'm driven by social mandate to I'm driven by profit motive. I'm driven... I'm, I am towards the social mandate side, and I've used, I've learned to make uh, better and better decisions as it relates to making money so that the organization can survive. But here comes my answer, which is gonna be a direct relation to who I am and the way I feel. When the going gets tough for sustainable, I, there's nothing in my mind that says if we hollow out the education side that it, things will be better for us. It just, 
that never occurs. Instead, um, I use that stressful moment to find new ways to make the whole thing work. Here's an example. Um, we're really good with big machines. We've got giant, giant generators on site and we run them on waste vegetable oil. I got approached by a company and they have giant machines, wood grinders. They grind up waste wood like pallets and construction waste and they turned to me and they said, can you run our grinders on your waste vegetable oil? I said, we sure can. And then I said, not only that, we can run it on waste vegetable oil and because we're, you'll be the only green wood grinding company in Canada, let's form a partnership and I can go get bigger contracts because we're doing something special and unique. Our name will rise to the top of the pile. So the going got tough. We sourced a whole nother new partnership of wood recycling and it became a revenue center that has grown independent of how well the show is doing. And so it's just an example. I structurally cannot abandon um, the impact side because I, my brain doesn't even go there. So would it be fair to say then, I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth, but the commitment to impact and to building a sustainable venture, when these things start to create tension, this seems to be very generative for you. Yeah. It seems like a source of creativity. Is that a fair comment? Totally. Uh, I thrive in that tension and I encourage entrepreneurs to get there. Um, and that's the part that you can't simulate for new young people that have not yet created a venture. You can't simulate the pressure cooker of that terrible moment of creative destruction where the thing, the product as it is, is not going to live past that moment as it was. And how are you going to change it in order to bring in more revenue, make it safer, diminish costs, whatever you have to do to make it survive. But, but if the values are really baked into the entrepreneur, that the inclusion of the social impact is going to be organic and, ha and, and happening naturally so that the solutions that are uncovered contain the room for that impact to continue. Okay, so I think this is probably a good point to pivot and start talking a little bit about the students here at Wharton. Yeah. What are you seeing in terms of the energy around social enterprise with what they're doing? Yeah. Do you see the potential of the people who can mix the two? I mean, Wharton has a reputation as being perhaps a little more financial than social lean at all. I think we're starting to even out the scales a little bit. Yeah. But how is this resonating in the student base? Given that I've been coming here for four years, I can, I can take metrics on what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing advancing. What I can say, what I'm hearing from the student body is that there's this deep desire to do good in the world. And I think if you look at the millennial set and the younger set, there's something about these, these young people that their need to see the world improve is really powerful. And if you think about what's happened on in their youth, they've seen a terrible recession, a lingering recession. They've seen a lot of new data on climate and ecosystems and terrible weather. And so this is constantly on their consciousness and it's affecting their decisions. Even at a school that's as competitive and elite um, and high acumen as Wharton, this is seeping into people. So the cool thing is you've got these students that are just brilliant at finance and they're wanting to create a huge impact in the world. And you put that together, it's a very productive intersection. Now, they're also super high achievers, which is actually a, down, a bit of a downside <laughs> because sure. they can't stand failure. And, and entrepreneurship is just an, one failure after another. And what you do with those failures, the difference between a failure and a pivot is the entrepreneur that at the moment of failure, um, either they, they put their tail between their legs, pack up and go home, that's a failure. Or the entrepreneur that smacks into reality and their product breaks, they remake the product to, 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 to more naturally suit that reality so they can now progress, and that's a pivot. So while I'm seeing lots of desire to create something awesome in the world and use these unique skills and financial acumen, there's also a bit of a, a mismatch between people's appetite for failure here and what's coming for them in venture uh, should they get into it. That's part of our work is, is, is getting the student body ready to get hit on the head <laughs> in re repeat, 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 you know? I agree. It doesn't seem to matter how many times I hit them on the head in class. They don't like it anymore. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> so we're running a little short on time, yeah. but if you were going to leave students with one piece of advice from all of your experience, one crystallizing moment that they could take forward with them as entrepreneurs, yeah. speci- specifically in social venture, mm. what would that be? Start now, start small. Um, start now because no amount of thinking about it and th- and and philosophizing about venture is going to help you understand whether or not you're you're fit for it or if you like it. You know, there's so much obsession about startup and it it'd be as ridiculous as there being a huge obsession about ballet and everybody wanting to be a ballerina. It doesn't work that way. You know, the same percentage of society likely somewhere around that is going to be fit for entrepreneurship and actually like it and thrive within the constant unknown and the huge pressures. The only way to find that out is to get into it, but you don't want to get into it at massive stakes for your first kick at the can, because what if you don't like it? So I tell students a lot to start a sub $1,000 startup of some kind to address some sort of social need if they want. It could be social impact, it could be real estate, it doesn't really matter. It's start that sub $1,000 venture so that the stakes are super low, but you put yourself in the pressure cooker to understand if you like it. Lastly, because there is no great success, there's no billion-dollar company, uh, there's no selling to Facebook for $20 billion without small successes that lead to medium successes. Like, the, the lineage of success that leads to the mega success that everybody reads about in Fortune, it's a long tail. And so get started and build that momentum. And, and should, should students discover that in that first $1,000 venture that they hate this, then stop. Go take that awesome job at Goldman or for the UN or FAO or... In Washington, I mean, you know, people can access amazing things from this place. So don't cut off all the other opportunity because there's an obsession with startup. All right. Well, that's awesome, Joy. So start small, small wins. See if you like it. Yeah. Terrific. That's all the time we have. Thanks so much for joining us. And I hope you will come back in the future. More years at Wharton. Hopefully this is just the start. Amazing. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks, Joy. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.